Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today for The Stacks Book Club, we're joined again by the wonderful actress, comedian, and podcast host, Tawny Newsom. We're discussing Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. I'll go ahead and say this now, there are a ton of spoilers this week, so please read the book first and then listen. Trust me, you want to read this book. Before we get going, here's your reminder to follow the stacks on our social media platforms. Find reviews, lists, and more bookish content there. Links to all of our social media accounts are in the show notes. You'll also find links to everything we talk about on today's episode in the show notes. And shopping through these links gives the stacks a small commission at no cost to you. So if you're shopping anyway, why not help out a bookish podcast? If you love the Stacks, consider joining the Stacks Pack. It's a group of folks who help support the work we do on this show in exchange for perks. We have a virtual book club that meets every other week. You get shout outs on the show. You get to find out about our guests in advance and a lot more. And most importantly, you get to know that you're helping out a bookish podcast that you love become a reality. So go to patreon.com slash the stacks to join. If a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can also do one-time contributions by going to paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It goes a long way to helping us reach new audiences and in turn be able to book more exciting, diverse guests. So if you haven't yet, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our latest review comes from Andrea Bro, and she says, I am thrilled to have listened to my first episode of The Stacks. I've been a book lover all my life. Started my first book club, the Nancy Drew Mystery Book Club, when I was eight years old. I was writing the list of books you were recommending fast and furious. I just hope I find the time. What can I say? So many books, so little time. Thank you, Tracy, for starting The Stacks. I am now a big and faithful fan. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate all your kind words. And for the rest of you, take a moment, rate and review the show. It means so, so much, and it really does help. Okay, now it's time for our discussion of Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. And again, I just want to warn you, there are a lot of spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't read the book, take a moment, do it now. (laughs) 
All right, y'all, we are back today with our lovely guest, Tawny Newsom, who is an actress, comedian, musician, and the co-host of Yo! Is This Racist? the podcast. And today for the Stacks Book Club, we're talking about Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. It won the Women's Prize in 2018, which is exciting. Um, and it's a great book. It's basically a modern retelling of Antigone, which is a play by Sophocles. And it's set against the backdrop of terrorism and anti-Muslimness in modern London, which I did not know it was Antigone when we picked this book up. I, I love that you didn't know that. So I knew it was Antigone, but I didn't remember Antigone. I had the opposite weird thing happening where as we were reading it, I was going, actually what first started to happen was we got to a place in the story that felt a little too far-fetched, whereas previously it had felt very realistic and very mm. grounded, although dramatic and high stakes. And I was like, wait a minute, this is starting to get, and then I went, wait a minute, why does this feel familiar? What is this, Shakespeare or something? Oh, no, it's Antigone. Tati. It's a great like, tragedy. Literally in the last maybe 30 pages of the book, 20 pages, I'm going, oh, this is actually Antigone. This is actually a Greek tragedy, and that's why it's dramatic. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. But let's say this now, because I don't want to get any angry messages from anybody. We're spoiling the shit out of this We're one. We're spoiling it. I've given so you plenty of time to read it. If you haven't read it yet, turn this off and read the book because it's really a good one. Turn this off. Throw your phone out the window. Don't pick it up until you put it in a bathtub until you don't, uh, until you've read the book. Yeah. And then come back and listen. So yeah. don't ruin your phone so you can come back and listen. No, ruin your phone and then buy a new one and then come back and listen. <laughs> and subscribe to the podcast on, on your, your new phone. phone. Exactly. Okay. What did you think of the book kind of generally? I loved it. I loved it. I wanted more from certain sections because mm -hmm. it is kind of like, it feels like four books or it feels yeah. like at least three, you know, you have these three movements um, coming from different people's perspectives or four, I guess. And I, I wanted more from the Parvez section. I wanted more from the Isma section in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I really fell in love with Isma and thought she's going to be my protagonist. I thought I we thought were following so too. her. And then I was equally happy to have it turn to Anika and I was like, oh, this is a totally different protagonist and someone I feel like I have less in common with because I'm not as young as she is mm -hmm. and not as free and wild as she is I felt more like akin to Isma. yeah I think so too but then I just I fell in love with that and then we turned to Parvez and I was like now we're really getting to the meat of it and then I wanted more yeah um, so if anything I just I wanted more from this book I, I totally agree. I When the book started, I was like, oh, I could ride with this lady for a while. Like, mm -hmm. Isma's my girl. Like, we could do this. Mm -hmm. And then it switched to Amen, And I was like, okay. It's like, you're cool. But then as his section merged with Anika and she yeah. became part of it, and I was like, oh, I'm here for this romance. Like, And as I said, I didn't remember Antigone, so I didn't really know where it was going. All I knew is that it was going to end badly because I knew it was a Greek tragedy and yes. I knew it was part of the Oedipus cycle. I'm so glad I didn't know that because I, I held out hope. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, I was like, but I kept being like, how is this ending badly? Like, I was like, but so I think I got Antigone confused with Medea. And I was like, oh, my God, she's going to have kids with him. Her head going to turn to snakes. I was like, I was like she's going to have. No, that's Medusa. Wait, what? <laughs> that's Medusa. That Medea is... is the one who kills all her kids. Oh, God, look at me just trying yeah. to reach for a joke. We're, it's, it, I think it landed, honestly. It's <laughs> actually better than whatever you were hoping for. But so I was like, oh, I was like, Eamon and Anika are going to have kids, and then she's going to kill their kids. Like, this is crazy. This and is then, Oh, right, she, like, drowns the kids, right? Yeah, they have, like, I don't know. I don't really remember, obviously. In a chariot, I think. Nobody tell my BFA police that I don't remember any of these um, Greek tragedies. But 
So anyway, so I was like, oh, like what's going to happen? And then I was like, wait, I don't think this is one where they kill the kids. Like there's still no kids. <laughs> and then it started going like to the Parvey story. And I was like, wait, I'm like, I didn't, I think I was like wanting to know what happened because mm-hmm. it's kind of written like a thriller. Yeah. And like, if I'm remembering Antigone correct- correctly, this isn't like a one-to-one. This doesn't no. track with it. No. This is like picking up and expanding on more of the story before Antigone starts. Right. Yeah. So in Antigone, it's like, the brother is already dead. Yes, we never meet him. And in so the, play, the whole right? yeah, we don't meet him. So the whole play is a fight over burial rights yes. and civil disobedience, which is what this book becomes at the end. Which is probably why at the end is when I started to go like, wait, what's a happening? Minute. This feels dramatic. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so like in Antigone, the character of Anika is Antigone, and then Amon is Haman, and they're like betrothed, mm-hmm. and Creon, which is. Amon's father, Haman's father, is the king. And he's like, no, we don't bury these people. Mm-hmm. And they go on this, like, whole – she, like, secretly tries to bury her brother. And it's, like, all about civil disobedience and, like, the rule of the gods and what is right versus what is law. And so all of that does come out in this book, but not till later. Right. So it's, like, the first half of this book is just setting up this ending – which is kind of nice because in Antigone, you don't get that. Mm-hmm. You get the drama of the fallout yeah. for five acts. And in this, you get five acts differently. You get like much more buildup. And then the last two acts are all the fallout, which yeah. is probably exactly where you were like, this seems familiar. Yeah. And I loved it even more because it made me really fall in love with these people. And yeah, just want, yeah, I just had so much hope for all of them. Yeah. And my heart was just broken every time it didn't go the way I thought it was. My heart was broken with Isma. Me too. That end of that section, I was like, what are we doing here? Why are they brother and sister now? I know. I was like, kiss her, kiss Kiss her. her. She loves you. Just just love her. Why are you teasing her? Why are you buying her coffee every day if you don't want to be with her? And then also like, what's that book? Truly, that's a whole book I would read. That's another book. I would read the Eastman happy and Amen yeah. in Boston just trying to be immigrants and figure shit out. Right. And like having a bunch of kids and not killing them. Get on it, Shamsi. Yeah, we need Come on. We need more from you. You've only written eight books. Like, can you do more, please? <laughs> can you write more based on the one chapter from yes, this book? Thank you. Um, so the structure of this book is five sections, which I'm assuming is supposed to mirror the five acts of the play. Oh, look at that. That would be my guess. Um, But it also takes us to five different places because we're in Amherst, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. not Michigan, Massachusetts. We're in London. We're in Turkey. We're in Pakistan. And we're in um, Syria. Oh, I didn't track. They're not the five acts. Don't break down that way. But those are the five because Parvez goes to Turkey. That's where he is ultimately killed when he goes to right, the consulate. Right, he tries to escape, yeah. And then, um, but before, he's in Syria. Uh-huh. Um, and then the body and the ending is all in uh, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of cool that she, like, I liked the nods to structured dramas, like these five-act yeah. plays. Like, I liked how that worked. And I thought her writing was so good. It was really good. Really good, not too floofy, mm-hmm. but also not too, like, just words. Yeah, and I really felt like, it, I felt like the characters came through in a way that allowed me to see, like, it's funny, there was no, there wasn't really humor in the book, but it. But there was. There was, and it allowed me to see, like, what this character finds funny, or what mm-hmm. this character is flippant or whimsical about. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically of Anika. And it made me feel like, oh, I know a person like that. And it, 
yeah, I just loved, I loved that as opposed to like, oh, this author is trying to be hilarious. Right. No, that's my kind of writing humor. I don't like ha ha funny. I like like, ooh, snarky. Yeah. Like when they're talking, when um, Isma's getting uh, interrogated in that first scene Mm -hmm. when she first gets to the airport before she even leaves. Yeah. And they're like, she's talking about how her and Anika had practiced and yeah, you know, this is, she should say that as an Asian, she's impressed by the queen's color palette. And I was like, this is very funny Mm -hmm. without being like, I'm making a joke right now. Please laugh. (laughs) Cue audience laugh track. I felt like each section also had such good endings. Oh yeah. Wait, refresh my memory. Well, so the first one was with her, with with Isma and Eamon and it was like, Oh, he's gone. And she cries. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the ending with Eamon section, I believe, was when like he was went to see his dad and then he yes. like couldn't get in touch with Anika. And oh, then wow, Parvase's yeah. section, I believe, ended with him um getting shot. Yeah. Or like going towards the consulate. Mm-hmm. And then Anika's section ended with her sitting in front of the consulate in Pakistan after having been like hey, um, what's the phone number for the people with the body? Just like mm-hmm. asking for a friend. Yeah, just like no big deal. And just... then obviously the book ends with the mm-hmm. possible suicide, possible terror attack. Oh, I didn't take it as a suicide at all. Oh, you didn't? You didn't think there was any chance that she had something to do with it? No, because it seemed to me like, well, actually, let's talk about it. Because, okay, so those <laughs> men, they ran up to, to they, when Eamon got to the park yeah. to come be with her, be in solidarity with her. It didn't seem like he was going there to bring her back home. No. He was just going to be with her. And these men ran up and snapped a vest around him mm-hmm. that he could not get off. So then I think knowing that, oh, is that what you mean by suicide? Just her end of it. Yeah, like that she like that it was like a murder suicide. Like that she had something to do with it as opposed to it being opportunistic terrorists who acted separately from her but knew that Eamon was a high profile target. I guess I believe the latter only because she didn't know he was coming. Okay. She didn't have any communication from him or info But they to know. knew he was coming. They who? Well, they, the people who put the, the vest on him. Yeah, because when he, like, landed at the airport and stuff, like, all I that guess. stuff goes up. But I don't feel like she has any way to know that, right? I guess that's true. She's yeah. just sitting next to a corpse and a bunch of ice. Right. By, she don't even have a cell phone. She has nothing. She's, like, in – it was, like, she's in, like, white clothes with, like, muddy rags. I'm, like, yeah. oh, my God, girl is a mess. So dramatic. There's no – yeah, I think that's what I was, like, wait a minute. But um, also, like, that's – like, imagine seeing that on the news. Because, like, you know Rachel Maddow would be, like, cutting in and out so hardcore. She'd be going mm-hmm. between that and, like, Nancy Pelosi getting sworn in. Yeah. Like, she'd be fully on both sides. Like, she'd be like, here at home, Nancy Pelosi wore red. But in Pakistan, yeah. there's a girl covered in rose petals, mud, and a dead body on ice. <laughs> like, let's tune in. Like a damn raw bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't, th- I don't think she could have had anything to do with it, just logistically. Okay. But I do, I, obviously, once he had it on him, she was like, come here, are we going down together? Yeah, I mean, she definitely wanted in. Yeah. Which I wonder... I wonder about that too because like then she whispers to him and smiles and then he like kisses her on the forehead or something and then they die. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if she was like, oh, this is a better out for me. Maybe. Because like she couldn't have had a plan really. Like what was her plan? Well, I guess what what did Antigone do? They just fought forever and then eventually. In Antigone, I believe the gods 
well, I, b- I believe like the old man like went to Creon and was like, no, you need to bury this kid in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, the gods are angry. And then Antigone like killed herself. Right. Which happened in this book too. The old man was actually uh, Karamat's wife. Terry. She kind of fulfilled that role, right? Yeah. It was with Terry and then also like one of his like assistants, James or something was yeah. like, you know, it's kind of tricky. Yeah. Like, maybe you should. Mm-hmm. This is awkward. I feel like in the movie, James would be like B.D. Wong or something. (laughs) (laughs) Just like in a sharp suit, like, um, sir. Or like, I don't know. There's a lot of people I would put to play James. It was a a cute little role. (laughs) I liked James. But yeah, so, so, okay. So you don't think it was a suicide. I don't know. Part of me is just like, well, if we're sticking with Antigone, there's got to be some like premeditatedness. But this book doesn't like stick with Antigone. You're right. Yeah, I think I'm just stuck on the logistics of it, but I like I like where your head's at. She clearly knew though, like that's a that's like a bomber vest, mm-hmm. and I need to die. Like, yeah, this is the way to go. Yeah, this is the out that I need. This makes the drives the point home. Yep, like that was calculated on her end. I agree. Because if she didn't want it to have happened, she could have run away too. And yeah, then she would have been blamed for this very important person's son dying too. You know, right? Like, oh my god, her life would have been. Whoa, I didn't even think about that act six. Oh, yeah, because imagine like the wrath of Karamat Lone that right. after his son is killed coming to get you. Right. And you've broken all these other who knows laws. I don't even understand how laws work in this right. universe. But uh, I mean, there's no redemption for you at this point. No. And also, oh, my God, the way that the ending was written. So right before, remember, they're in like – Eamon's sister like Emily or something I can't remember her name she is visiting and they're like talking and then one of his assistant um, secret service guys is like we need to go into the bunker yeah and then they're freaking out because they think they're gonna die uh-huh and then he's like oh it was just a hoax and they're like how do you know it's a hoax and they're like because they said that they got you mm-hmm. and then it was like jump cut and then it changes how it's written and it's like as seen through a television lens or something. And then it like describes the scene, but it doesn't use anybody's names. It's like he walks up in a blue shirt. Like she recognizes him. She, two men come over. And like the way that it was like written like a script. Yeah, like it, it was, was written really like a, a scene. It was, I almost felt like it was written like a news, like a news anchor would be reporting on it. Mm. Because they did, they played a lot, right, with the chorus. Mm-hmm. Like Twitter became the chorus. Mm-hmm. Everything became the chorus, which I think I'm double glad that I didn't realize it was Antigone because I think reading it, I would have been a little annoyed at those I always get annoyed at those modernizations yeah of like, I didn't even ha- think of that with the chorus right. you yeah. know but yeah like all the Twitter all the like hashtags about mm-hmm. what did they call her like Anika An- Anikers or whatever yeah. they gave her like a slutty yeah slut and then they called name. like the lone wolf yeah, like, yeah which was very like you know what what the world does now when right. things like this happen so I was like okay with it as being like this is what Twitter does but if I had known it was a uh, Greek chorus yeah I would have been I very annoyed um but uh yeah, so I felt like it switched to, like, the news lens of that. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that Secret Service agent said, they said they got the target, I knew. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's the other one. Yeah, I, well, yeah, as soon as they said that. But at first, I just thought that something bad was going to happen there. But I didn't. Oh, I yeah. thought, like, maybe Isma was, like, going to – I thought maybe she was going to end up being the one who, like, killed everybody because oh. she was, like – felt like she had to protect her family or something. Maybe. Because, like, when they said that she was walking down the streets and – I mean, that – so she's a really interesting character because she is – as far as, like, Antigone and and this book, she's, like, kind of the boring one. Mm -hmm. But she's so great. You need the boring one. 
And like she was really comforting to me. I liked her pragmatism. I liked her, you know, I it really resonated with me about how she was just trying to she trying to become a doctor. She was getting her PhD in like Muslim studies. Oh right, doctorate. Doctorate. Yeah. Um yeah, it just to me it was like so this is someone who she's not at all like lazy or not trying to fight the system, but she's trying to do it in a way that I really respect where she's really trying to like change things with her strengths and so she's trying to just get through the interview at the you know it's not Mm -hmm. about having the interview at the airport and making them realize what a radical you are it's about getting on the plane so that you can get to the other country so that you can get through so you can do your work you know and I was like wow I really resonate with that because a lot of times we do want to burn it all down but sometimes you have to be practical and right quiet and go to your enemy's house you know when she went to Karamat's house to like talk to him human to human about what she needed right that's not easy to do no but often characters like that get painted as being I don't know not as exciting or right well that's like a scene we hear about that's not the scene we often get to see like often that's a scene where it's like oh by the way her sister came to my house did you know okay and like it's like (laughs) let's erase this person I think that the theme of kind of like loyalty to family versus loyalty to your country was really interesting and Obviously, I'm not from Great Britain or and I'm not a Londoner and I'm not Muslim. But as a black person in America, I think that there's a lot of parallels um, about who, you know, I think that's true probably for a lot of minorities in a lot of places. But specifically right now, given the crazy fear of Muslims and the crazy fear of blackness that's happening in America, um, I think that this idea of like who who are you as this quote unquote enemy of the country and whose side are you on and do you throw your family member mm-hmm. to the police so that they won't come and break down the doors in your house mm-hmm. right like do you tell on your little brother that he went to join ISIS because it's better for you and your sister and there's a chance you have a chance or not and i i really thought that that was like tough yeah, and something that, uh, yeah, I feel like there's not a parallel that I can think of in my life where I've ever had to make a decision Mm-mm. even remotely that difficult. But it is, yeah, because she did, she made the hardest choice, and I feel like it's, you know, if the if the book had started with Anika's section, mm-hmm. and we had seen Isma through that lens first mm-hmm. as being someone who had turned, or I guess no, Isma didn't know. So what in which section do we learn that? Or I'm sorry, Anika didn't know. So in which section did we learn that Isma had turned him in? In hers? In an Isma section. But it was later in the section. Um, this Anika called and was like, I heard what you did. Oh, right. Yeah. So I guess I feel like if we had learned about her through Anika and then learned that information, we would see her differently. We'd yeah. see her as like a traitor to her family. As right. opposed to like Being it made pragmatic. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And like we like, and given what we know about their history, like about the father having been a jihadi and mm-hmm. like knowing that 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 was already like a stain on their family mm-hmm. that of course she's going to do what she has to do with no mother and no grandmother anymore it's like they're they're like orphans yeah and they're marked and she's older and so she remembered yeah like she really remembered the police coming and like what they did after the dad left in a way that I don't, I mean, Parvez says in his section, like, he doesn't really remember that much. He just remembers, like, there was this photo album and this police officer came and took it. Yeah. And then that came back 
at the end of the book where the police officer was like getting interviewed and he was like, yeah, I took this photo album and I told them they should monitor these kids and I guess they'll never learn. And I was like, fuck you. Yeah, that was rough to read. Like, yeah, that was hard. And like, I didn't, I guess I'm naive and dumb, but I didn't realize that, of course, governments monitor the children of Mm. people who go and join extremist terrorist groups in Syria or wherever. Well, now, I mean, look, now they monitor a whole lot more than that. But it, it is naive to think that if anyone in your family or in your extended family does anything even remotely a threat or even talks about it online, mm-hmm. you most likely are also being monitored right. now. But not if they talk about like going and shooting up a school. Uh, I will disagree because... Oh, really? Yeah. But it is less for sure because there isn't that like Islamophobic whatever. Right. But there is a lot... Now, like if you're connected to anyone who Interesting. is starting to talk about these things... It is it, you're naive if you think they're not also looking at you because right. there is so much fear and we don't know how to uh, we don't know how we, we say our, our government says they don't know whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is that they're watching. Everybody's watching you all the time. And I'm trying to like sidestep saying some shit to like not reveal a personal thing Got that it. a friend went through. But what I have noticed is that when you're brown, the scrutiny is 10 times worse right and when you are not from this country the scrutiny is 10 times worse and if you are from a religion that we don't understand in this country it is so much worse so i I, yeah just reading isma's section and reading that she did that was like of course you have to do that of course course you've been through it that's right and the part of the book where Eamon goes to his dad and he's like you know I met this girl and I really like her and she's like from this neighborhood and she's like kind of friends with like a you know a guy who left and he's like oh the Parvez family or like yeah. pa- the Pasha family. And he's like, how did you know? And he's like, there's only one of those people. Like, how do you, you think I don't know? I'm the home secretary. And I was like, sure. Aben is me. Yeah. Cause I'm like, how did he know? And then I'm like, right, of course <laughs> he's like the home secretary, which I guess is a mix of Homeland security, secretary of state, um, health and human services. Like it's a combination job cause it's in charge of like domestic things and mm. also um, immigration related things from what my google search told me okay great so i because i wasn't quite sure if there was like a direct correlation to united states and there isn't exactly like that job falls under a few sure headings in case you didn't know in case you didn't know like me i did think that was a little night i thought that was a little unrealistic of Eamon though because you say that that's you but your dad isn't that sure Sure. I don't know maybe is your dad the secretary of state no 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 okay unfortunately no he's not well I guess fortunately but either way now yeah currently no (laughs) yeah I guess you're right like it it just was like a moment where I was like he knows and then I was like oh right you're an idiot for thinking that he wouldn't know (laughs) of course he would you're so dumb but they do say Eamon's like an idiot like naive and I just wonder how much naivete you could get away with when like I'm sure if you're that guy's kid, all of your texts and calls and everything are monitored anyway. Right. Which is why she knew never to call him. Right. Which is why he was dumb. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if you're not family members with someone who's joined ISIS, like, you know, I doubt like Chelsea Clinton's boyfriends would like really want to be texting or like Malia and Sasha. Like, I don't know that you want. To be texting people that you're not super serious about because, like, mommy and daddy will find out. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are, like, data scientists in a uh, a private company that happens to have a government contract. And their, like, dating life is monitored. Or at least they go through, like, programs about, like, 
when you're dating someone serious, you have to like let us know and here's how to, you know, whatever. So it's like, right. you know, you're the son of this dude, you know. So I felt that was a little convenient of the I book. I see. Okay. But yeah, I'm not mad at it. I mean, it worked. It made it work. There was, all, there was kind of like a fanciful part of this book that kind of made you suspend disbelief, which I also really liked because it made it more enjoyable it made it move faster like if it had gotten stuck in like the ticky tack of like okay so then they have to talk to the secret service guy I would have been like okay can we just like we get it they're secret let's yeah. go so I kind of like appreciated <laughs> it too one of the biggest one of the things I was the most obsessed with and I think everyone in the book was the most obsessed with was Karamat Lone like that character mm-hmm. and how she built him and what he was because to me he was like Ben Carson mm-hmm. similar yeah or not I guess that's too far I would say he was like Van Jones <laughs> right like sometimes he got the right answer and mm-hmm. sometimes he had the totally wrong answer but that's because he has mediocre at best politics Mm -hmm. but like people on both sides like would claim him yeah and then people on both sides get very mad at him right yeah and yeah and the uh double standard that he was facing of trying to overcorrect by being super hard on you know as he put it islamic extremists and right I I felt I had empathy for him, but then I was so mad at his policies. Right. I was so mad, but I was also just like, yeah, I I kind of get it because you are, you wanted to get where you could get so that you could have influence. So you had to go hard, but then I'm like, well, then you're just pandering to all those racists. And you're like a puppet. You're the person, you're the person that the bad guys, if you want to simplify, which Mm -hmm. I do, the bad guys hold up. To say like, oh, I'm not racist. I have a black friend, you know, yeah. or like, oh, I'm not, I'm not Islamophobic. Like I'm in the same party as Karamat Lone. Like I voted with him on this, you know? And it's like, yeah. But then you, then he gives that speech that like they mm. talk about where he says, we're all, we're all great British and mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're all here the same. And if you, you know, are wearing extreme clothing or having old antiquated beliefs like Mm -hmm. you're the problem and you know you can be here and not that racism's gone but that's not the problem like fix it do better like you guys need to adjust how you are in order to live here peacefully right which is goes into a whole like I mean it does still with like respectability politics which I totally is it like actually respectability politics I never know how that's defined I don't I think so. I, I mean, I I think of it here as being American specifically. I mean, black American specifically, but I I would imagine that like Latinx people have their own form of respectability politics or like Muslim yeah. people, right? Or, I'm sure. I just didn't know if like the renouncing of a religion falls under that or if it's more like pull your pants up, you know. Right. Sure. <laughs> don't Somewhere say the right. Word. <laughs> right. It, it but it is, I mean, it is like a form of it if yeah, it's not like exactly fall in it. line. Like fall in line in order to get the respect that you are owed and deserve as a human being. Right. But I don't I mean, I don't know a ton about the UK and so I know it's a monarchy and it's a little bit different, but like do they have freedom of religion there? Mm-hmm. So then like doesn't I this is something that I find crazy about America is it's like we always talk about freedom of religion freedom of religion but as soon as anybody does anything that's like different Mm -hmm. with their religion it's like oh you if you want to fit in here take off your this or like if you want to fit in here then you can't you know observe the sabbath like Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise you're orthodox like it's like okay but like this is my religion I'm just like trying to have dinner with my family on Friday yeah yeah um no it's a free society 
like ours is a free society. Right. But the monarchy. Giant air quotes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But the monarchy is tied to religion. Aren't Um, they? They're the Church of England. I guess. But also the monarchy, from what I understand, is like a largely figurehead and don't actually govern. You know, they they have a. they, they counsel with the PM right. and stuff. But. Yeah. But I just wasn't sure if like there was a difference in their approach to religion. Because it's like you're saying, yeah, don't wear the hijab. Like you don't have to. And then you can fit in. It's like, yeah, but that's my religion. Freedom of religion. Hey, guys, what's up? Yeah. I Yeah. I don't know. I wonder. I also know, you know, like Great Britain is not really a country. Like the United Kingdom in the way that you, the United States is right. states. But the United Kingdom has like four separate mm-hmm. actual countries mm-hmm. within it. So... I don't know. You're not asking people in the Highlands to take off their kilts. You're not right. asking Welsh people to not eat rare bit. Oh, God, I'm reaching. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's kind of a weird thing that this brown person is telling other brown people to not be their right. religion when they've clearly, I mean, like Welsh people are very proud of being Welsh and not being English right. and not even really caring to be called British. A lot of times they're like, right. I'm Welsh. And that's embraced from what I've seen. Right. My but that's travels why- there. It's mostly white. There are a lot of black Welsh people, though. When I say a lot, I mean I saw some. When you were there, you, like, found one? I saw some. You know, there's, like, some uh, there's some traditions of uh, sailors and people from the uh, West Indies that went there. And so there's, like, a heritage of black people that have stayed in Wales. Okay. And it's kind of cool. You see, like, black Welsh people, you're like, hey. Welsh accents are nuts. I love them. They're amazing. I love Wales. It is one of my favorite places. I have a good friend who's from there, and we went this year my first time there and I was just like this place rules it's beautiful (laughs) it's weird it's cheap everyone's nice it's kind of creepy because I think it's kind of like our American South where sometimes you go and you're like is everyone racist or are you being really nice to me you're handing me a pie I think you like me am I poisoned am I dead um my brother says in in I may be just in England but he says like the further north you go it's like going south in America but maybe that's maybe that's just England because then like Scotland is a whole different bag. Sure. But I mean, like I I traveled the whole country twice this year because I had two weird different gigs. And so okay. I went from Scotland <laughs> to Wales and like two weird different things. But um, yeah, I, I love it. I just have a better time in Wales because I think people are a little more relaxed. OK. England feels a little just things are just a little tighter, you know. Got it course there's exceptions i keep punching the microphone it's like i don't use a microphone 20 times a week there's this cord i know it's a pain i'm sure you guys all hear it all the time who cares this is what this is independent podcasting people hell independent yeah. hello taking care of your health isn't always easy but it should be at least simple that's why for the last three plus years i have been drinking ag1 every day no exceptions it's just one scoop mixed in water once a day every day and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. 
Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I listened to this great podcast about race in America and it was called Seen on Radio is the name of the podcast. And they did this whole thing called Seeing Whiteness. Mm. And one of, it's a white guy who does it where I was like, Ugh, I roll, I hate you. Mm-hmm. But he's actually like, a, like seems like a genuinely good guy who's like trying to figure out because he's like, I've never seen whiteness before. I didn't realize, like I didn't ever notice that I didn't see it. So he does this whole thing and he talks to like scholars on race and like the woman who wrote the book White Fragility and Ibram X. Kendi who wrote Stamp from the Beginning and he talks to people who like work at the anti-racists, all these groups. But one of the women, I wish I could remember her name, she talks about markedness and mm. so she says like marked is different and unmarked is normal. So she says, like, you know, do you have you heard of a historically black church? Like, mm-hmm. is that something that's celebrated? Is that something that we talk about? Is that, you know, and then she's like, are there such things as historically white churches? And people are like, no. And she's like, well, there actually are. They just don't have plaques mm-hmm. and there's not a tour bus that takes you to them. But like that's unmarked. And so we're saying, you know, that this unmarked thing is the norm and that yeah. this other thing is the the different thing. And that came up in this book when they were talking about being like Pakistani Londoners or like Muslim Londoners Mm -hmm. and that there was like this adjective added that took away their Britishness. Mm -hmm. And I I just like that was something that really resonated with me because I feel like I so often get adjective in front of adjective in front of adjective Mm -hmm. before I get to like. American like yeah. I'm like a or podcaster or podcaster exactly <laughs> like I'm like I'm a black woman Jewish yeah podcasting book lover <laughs> like but you can just get to be book lover like how does that work white lady like how lovely for you <laughs> yeah it's the white as neutral uh mm-hmm. it's the same argument it's like that when you stop seeing white as neutral right then you can have a more diverse and inclusive whatever you're trying to do right because white's not the default right white is, has been become the default but like they were even saying on this podcast is great I highly recommend it it's yeah, like I'll 14 it episodes and some of it's like a little some of it I didn't love but they talk about like Native American things and black things and but one of the things that they said that I really liked was that um 
so much of being white is about being an individual, mm-hmm. which is why white people get really upset when you say white people. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, I'm not a white person. I'm Sarah. Mm-hmm. You're like, Sarah, you're a white person. Mm-hmm. But like people call me a black person all the time. And I don't care. Like mm-hmm. I know that I'm part of that group. Like, and I understand that I'm also an individual, but like I'm also part of that group. Yeah. And that there's this like, that's why like a lot of white people say, you know, we need to start with the individual and it should be taught in the home, like not to be racist and this and that. And then when you ask people of color, they're like, the government could be doing better. Yeah. <laughs> like it's we like, could have programs. How lucky for you that you have all this time to just teach your one white child not yes. to be racist. Right. Exactly. Great. That I might not meet him. Right. So I'm going to need the government yeah. to control the rest of these I people. I would love some help. <laughs> Are there teachers in schools who could help with Is this? there like a program we can set <laughs> yes. up? Is there somewhere I could send your whole family and everyone who's related to you? And anyone and you've white. met? Because I'm probably not going to meet your one very nice white child that you're yes. raising to be a very nice white boy. Right. And like, but congratulations. He's going to be great. that kid becomes the president, <laughs> like he's not helping me Mm-mm. so I just thought that was interesting and I really did like I I listened to it after I read the book and I was like sure this isn't just about race this is about otherness or markedness everywhere this yeah. idea of like who's responsible here and I think karma comes from that place of like individual responsibility yes which I think is a total place of privilege yeah it's a privileged mindset because it's imagining that the playing field is level and even and that everyone comes from the same and even when especially when it comes from someone like him who is an immigrant who came from working class background that's an even more dangerous rhetoric because he's like look see I did it I and anyone can and it's like that no dude you did it you're congratulations but you also did it in a shady way where you pandered to a bunch of people who are frankly racist and you know exclusionist um and we'll turn on you too a hundred percent like act six where your kid just got killed by terrorists for going to pakistan to Uh be with a girl that he got duped by Uh bet that doesn't go over very well for your bid at downing place nope like (laughs) you better write the sequel to this because i want to see how karamat gets dragged through the coals um i forgot who said it that like america as a melting pot that image isn't all great for immigrants and people of color it'd be better to think of it like a stew or a gumbo oh because God, we talked about this two weeks ago on the show. did you <laughs> yeah. whose quote was it i don't know we were talking i was just saying that like i the melting pot makes america into like a puree soup yeah and it would be much better if it was like a chicken noodle literally because it's it's like you have to lose your shape to blend in as opposed to like you can maintain your shape we can just all coexist we can like make a good flavor a good mix like we could have a strong roux but like can i just be a carrot can i be a potato yeah can i just live (laughs) my life like do i need do i need to be the same as you for you to be okay being around me and you don't want to be the same as me because you're very individual right white white madam right you don't want to be me you don't want this black life but it's this book that we talked about we read this book called open city and um it talks a lot about religion and kind of actually a similar kind of topic as this book but told in a totally different way but we talked a lot about how like religion muslimness post 9-11 in america and in this book in london or in the uk is a kind is the same as blackness in America in the sense that it's treated not that the roots are the same obviously like right. the histories are different but like the way that it's treated currently is that it's like this is something terrible that we have to get rid of or like that we need to 
we need to push to the sides and that we need to be monitoring and that we need to be cracking down on. And I just, that parallel, it had never dawned on me that parallel. And now all of a sudden I feel like I see it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even if it's, because even if people in this country don't think they're saying we don't want black people here, even if they are kind of saying that, what they are saying is you can be here, but you need to be less Black. black you need to be less like that you need to be less militant you need to obey when a police officer says get out of the car you need to do that you know right. they're saying you need to conform in the same way in a similar way to how they might say you need to eschew your islamic heritage mm-hmm. and culture in order to just blend in and just be a, a nice normal brown person for our for our white feelings um and it is it is so i mean God, I just think about in Chicago when they canceled the Southside Irish Parade because it was too rowdy. Mm. And white Irish people, and Irish I'm using loosely, white people who like to drink in Chicago who maybe had an Irish ancestor lost their minds. Mm. They were like, how dare you strip us of our heritage? And the city was literally like, you have another parade on the north side the next day. We're just ending this one because it's expensive, because y'all break shit, because it's dangerous, and we don't have the resources. And people lost their mind about them being stripped of their cultural whatever and still had one anyway that's Mm. true watch whiteness work these people just still did one of their own just unlicensed just drinking in the streets and i'm like can you imagine can you imagine if black people did that right they'd send in the national guard well i mean of course and it would be a riot not an Mm -hmm. uprising and certainly not a parade oh no (laughs) never be considered a parade (laughs) oh no not be called a parade it'd be called an an activist an angry mob (laughs) right I wonder actually if the more apt parallel to Muslimness post 9-11 in the quote unquote Western world, whatever that means, is our current situation on the border mm. in America. Because it's like, because blackness is so much a part of Americanness, mm. whereas like this like new thing, not that new, but relatively new thing where we hate immigration yeah like apparently now we the country with a fucking statue (laughs) of liberty that's like bring us your huddled masses is now like we hate immigration it's almost comical if it wasn't so awful yeah if our whole identity didn't revolve around loving immigrants truly our entire identity our entire bullshit lore that we were told about the mayflower and coming here to escape blah 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 now we've turned upside down it used to be like we're all immigrants was like yes we love immigrants and Mm -hmm. now it's like we're all immigrants, so we can't have any more immigrants. There's like, it's like, wait, you've literally flipped your entire entire script, especially for how young this country is. Like, I think about old ass European countries, old ass European right. countries that I'm like, I get why y'all are getting real racist and nationalist right. is because your grandparents, 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 grandparents have been right. here for s- centuries. Like your family members, Julius Caesar. Yeah. Like, I feel you. Like, you can trace your roots back to the 1200s. You know Sophocles actually. Like, Antigone was your relative. Right? Like, I get, you have a quilt that she made and you're like, that was passed down. I get that. So y'all are starting to get real protective and you don't want a bunch of people coming in and taking your old sure. trash. I don't know. Yeah. But, for us here, this country has existed for 10 seconds. Yeah. We have had, I mean, we know, uh, we have ancestors who were owned by other right. people. Right. So, like, the, the, we are so young to suddenly be turning that. Like, right. we're going to wear ourselves out. We're about to implode. Right. It's true. And I just, I fucking hate we're all immigrants. It's like, look, some <laughs> people weren't. Some people were native. Nope. But some of us also, were, we were brought here. We were grabbed. Do you want to call that immigration? I don't. Do you consider kidnapping like a date? Like what's the rules here? It is so wild to me how some people don't. And I'm like, I'm not a person who talks about slavery a lot because in my, I'm like, we all know, right? Does everyone know? But I am 
continually astounded by the number of people who we we're just talking about those 23 and me and those like yeah. ancestry.com tests people who don't get that like we don't we can't, i can't go on a database and trace no. my heritage no. like i can't i was just somebody just asked me recently newsom what what is that and i went a, a slave owner mm -hmm. like that i don't know mm -hmm. england probably and they were like oh i just thought maybe i'm like you thought what like none of us have our names no I, it, but people don't real or it doesn't, no. it doesn't occur to them. Yes. That's when people ask me what I am. I usually say I'm Jewish. My mom's like Jewish, like, you know, from yeah. Russia, basically. And I'm like Jewish and slave black. Because <laughs> I'm like, like what, do you, what do you want me to say? I don't have another answer for you. You hit them with slave black, you Tracy. Slave black? Oh, my God. Well, that is hardcore. I'm, I'm not Jamaican. Yeah, no. I'm not Kenyan. Me either. I, don't, I mean, I might be. I don't know what I am. But, like, so I just say slave black. My last name is Thomas, for Christ's sake. Yeah, like, are you even going to trace that? Th Thomas is from England. So, surprise, I had English. At some point, some male in my family was owned by, well, most likely the last people in my family that were owned by other people were on the Thomas plantation. You know what also I just found out is wild that some slaves changed their name to slave owners that were nicer to them when they were emancipated. Huh. So some, if anyone helped them or was an oh, abolitionist, so maybe they weren't on the Thomas plantation most recently, but possibly I found that out when I was trying to trace some shit and was like, okay, I know we're Newsom's from Georgia. Mm -hmm. And then there were like seven that owned slaves mm. in Georgia. And that was like, okay, you own 23, you own 15. I can figure this out. And then, on my uh, maternal grandmother's side, she had, uh, or my, whatever, all on my dad's side, but I don't know the, how to say it. Anyway, the other side were Garretsons, and they were, uh, but I traced the Garretson history, and they were, all, they were all abolitionists. They were all, like, from Denmark and shit. So I'm like, oh, so my black ancestor, like, changed their name to those like people, probably. Like, they met a Garretson. Yeah, and, like, needed a new last name because they didn't want to be the Jacksons anymore. Right. <laughs> They didn't want to be like a Jefferson. Yeah, they were like, that slave owner beat me. Can I not have this name anymore? I'll trade you for any other white name possible. Anyway, welcome back to our podcast about being a book black about is Muslim. weird. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Being black is weird. And fuck your ancestry.com test. I'm sick of hearing about how you're one third Iberian or whatever the fuck. Uh, it's it just, I what I wouldn't give <sighs> to just know. Oh, I would love to know. Yeah, I have a friend who um, his family is from Virginia, white guy, and his whole life he was told like, oh, we were too poor to have slaves. Like, we didn't have slaves. Mm -hmm. We were just like – and then he found mm -hmm. like logs. It's called the census. Uh, it's been going back a long time, and they don't put slaves' names in it, but they'll put your white ancestor's name, right. and they'll put how many? Right. And it'll just be a number. Right. Well, he found like, like logs of the slaves from his – like – like he was like you guys had this just laying around you guys are trying to tell me that we were too poor to, and it's just like a crazy thing i i don't envy him for having to learn about it that way mm -hmm. but i also am like lucky you yeah actually like, it's kind of nice that you still get to know like no one's saying that you're a slave owner no but like you know but like i'm not crying too hard about you finding out that right you or like them. when people are like oh i just discovered racism i'm like congratulations mm -hmm. but also like do you want a fucking cookie yeah like, where, where have you been <laughs> where have you been so like welcome to the fight but like some yes. of us are are stars, you know purple-hearted generals right and uh but also like legitimately were you where were you hiding can i go to that place that doesn't involve knowing about racism in the white 
Tish world. I bet you could go to that world, but you'd have to have like full like white chicks level white face. Yeah. You know, uh, the movie white chicks where you have like full prosthetic <laughs> blonde wig. Oh my God. And just like go go live in Palm Springs. And you'd have or something. to be a Wayne's brother also. Is that who it is? The <laughs> yes, Wayne's brothers. brothers. What a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> This is what I love most about this podcast is that we're talking about a very lovely book about uh-huh. like ISIS and London and somehow we're talking about White Chicks, the film in Palm Springs, the reboot. I always try to bring up White Chicks whenever I can. Okay, well, Jack nailed it. Congratulations, did you did it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else really like about this book that I want to get into. Oh, I have a question for yes. you. Did you know as soon as Anika stepped on the train with him and was like, where do you live? Did you know what her plan was? No. Did you know? Yeah. I knew knew. just because I could tell how calculating she was. And I knew that from the way uh, we learned about her in Isma's chapter, Mm. I'm like, there is no way she would cozy up to this guy. She's not a woman driven by lust. That's true. Like her, her lustful escapades that they would kind of hint at all seemed very like calculated and just kind of like, I'm young and this is what I'm doing right now. See, I chalked it up more for her being like young and like the sex was good. I but think you're she, smarter than me. Well, but. no, I just knew. I mean, probably just as I look at characters that I would like want to play and I yeah. like try and figure that out, <laughs> even when I'm reading books. Um, so I'm looking at her and I'm like, oh, man, if this was a movie and I was like younger, this is a type of a role. I'm obviously not Pakistani, so that wouldn't work. But I was just thinking about like, oh, what's in this character's head? Like, there's right. no way she's after this guy because he's hot. Do you think she is. ever loved him? Yeah, I think it got there. Because isn't that always the best story where it's yeah. like you were doing this? You know, it's the uh, what's that movie? Um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Yes. Or what was the one with Rachel Lee Cook where it's like she's not pretty. Take she's all glasses. that. Yeah, she's all that. See, it's the so she's good. all that. It was a it was a dare. But then they fell in love. Right. Well, wait. OK, this is one of the things. This was one of the moments where I was like. Anika is all in when she when the whole thing got exposed and then Isma like came back and was like you know I'm so sorry whatever and then Anika was like you were with him and you didn't even think to do this and I was like yo Anika you girl you're tripping right now like that you think that that is like duh when you go to McDonald's you get french fries like to her it was like you wear goggles in the pool she is, you know, I know we've been talking about Isma being pragmatic, but I mean, Anika is a hustler and Anika knows her currency. Right. You know, she's like got taking a sharp her mind and shit. Like yep. I was like, girl, she know she is. I mean, she was smart and calculating. And I, I get that, that she's like, why didn't this occur to you to try and cozy up to this man? You had right. him. Right. Right. Oof. Yeah. That scene where she was like, you're just jealous. And I'm mad that you didn't think to do this. Uh-huh. And I was like, sisters. I don't have any sisters. I well, I have half sisters, but they're much older and it's not like that. You wouldn't be talking like that. No. no. I don't have any siblings, so I don't know how anything I read with siblings, I'm just like, is this how y'all talk to each other? This seems stressful. <laughs> I have a brother that I really like, actually. So, but I don't know if I, I mean, this is a major question. Like, would you, I, I'm just not an, ex, I'm not an extreme person. So I don't know if I could be any. And Anika, I unfortunately yeah. think I'm more of an Isma, which is a lovely person, not unfortunately, but like. I'm more of an Isma. I'm more of a play it safe and then talk a lot of loud shit about it later. Yeah, like, I'd write a lot of awareness. letters. <laughs> I could write, I would write a letter a day. I would be like one of those postcarding white ladies who send Nancy Pelosi letters, you know, like I'd be sending Jeff Flake some postcards. Yep. Fuck that guy. Um, Sorry, did I say that? I fucking hate Jeff Flake. He's gone though. Good for you. So happy. Yeah. Oh. There's one more section, one more thing in this book that I just have to get off my chest. What? 
there's the part towards the end. It's like one of the last pages where Eamon says to Karamat, like, this is my truth. And then Karamat's like, when did we become a thing about my truth? Like this, like egocentric, like my truth. And I have to say, I'm team Karamat on that. Mm. My truth is garbage to me because I think that there is truth and then there is relationship to truth. But mm-hmm. I feel like this idea that there's multiple truths or facts that like something that is true to you is the truth yeah. is not, I don't like that framing. And maybe that's more like semantics, but I, it really gets under my skin. Like you're allowed to have your own opinions and your own feelings about things and things can resonate with you. But I feel like truth is a thing. Yeah. Like a fact is a thing. I agree. And your what you're talking about is like your perspective on the truth your expected attitude that your lens comes from all the different things that make you right but that doesn't make that thing truth what I struggled with that though is because I agree with you I do think it's a little semantical because when I read that I was like oh this is they're talking about the conservative style talking points that Mm -hmm. we get from people like Tucker Carlson because that is a that is something that Tucker Carlson says where he's like there is no you know be true to myself or my truth your truth like right. there's only the truth. So I'm always wary of things that fall into the mouth of people like that because I'm like what do right. you think you're saying here? Well, but I feel like see I associate that with them on the other side of it. I associate it with like fake news. Like that you could just say something is the truth and because it's true to you therefore yes. it's now the truth. Like the Tucker Carlson or like what's the crazy Infowars guy. Oh, Alex Jones. Yes. That he could say, this is a fact. Yes. And it's not a fact, but because a white man has said it and put it out into the world, therefore it becomes fact. Or that when the president says something is fake news, or when Sarah Huckabee Sanders gets up there and lies about something, but says, you know, it's, it's the facts. It's the truth. Right. Look it up. Like, that's what I was thinking about. I totally agree with you. And I think that we, I think that we're right. And I think that, (laughs) um, those, the other side is using it is using the same language so it's almost like we need more we need better language language. and maybe smarter people than me who are like scholars and shit have more vocabulary for this but what the other side is saying is they're using it as a way to deny privilege and Mm. uh diversity of perspective and privilege lenses right they're using it as a way to say like no 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 there's one objective truth the facts are the facts it doesn't matter if you're disabled or gay or whatever and so they're using it as a way to deny people's individual experiences right. as it relates to that truth. Right. That's where I get really I like, agree with that too. I but think, we're right. all using the same weird. We're using the same word. It's the wrong word. Right. And the, the way Karamat is using it is I think more in line with that. Oh, see, I think, I mean, I don't know. I think, sure, it is and it's not because the son is like saying like, I loved her and she loved me and that's my truth. And like, I felt that. Right. And to me, I think that that kind of stuff is like, it's just, that's not the truth. Like that's, I think the word he could have used was like, that's my experience. I felt these things, or as yes. my boss would say, feelings aren't facts, which I love and hate. But like there is some, there's this idea that because you experience something that that is the end. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hate. That's true. I guess I was only drawing that from how they've painted Karamat Karma, yeah. from the beginning. Right. So I was like, oh, of course he's got to be one of these. in a terrible way. But you're right. I mean, the... I, I don't remember the wording as specifically, but right. It, 
It's on page 257. I have it in my notes if you want to go back Look and check your book. Look at you with your notes. I take some notes because, my God, it's too many pages. It's good. It's useful. It makes you educated about what you're talking about instead of me that's like, I think this guy came over here. <laughs> um, okay. So just the last things that we always like to talk about are the title and the cover. And so just so you know, this cover that we have is the American cover, but there is a British cover. So we have Ooh. like the pink and blue and kind of purple green swirly cover and then there's one that's red black and yellow and there's like two people in the middle and look it up yeah look it up do you see the cover yeah oh wow is it that yeah that's it so it's a little bit different yeah Um, I don't like that one as much I like ours better ours is prettier I think I'm sure it was like designed exactly this way it's like Americans want a pretty thing that looks like a rose with like pink yeah which is so funny when you think about marketing and stuff so are they imagining that this is targeted towards women yes yeah it's very tart whereas this british cover is very like Saul bass almost design yeah. kind of it's like tough mm-hmm. the british cover is definitely it looks more a little tough. scary and it looks like the british cover to me looks like a th- more like a thriller and yeah. ours looks more like a love story yeah god that's so interesting how they play with our minds right so because like for me when I was reading the book I was like oh this is like kind of a thriller weirdly like I don't want to put it down Mm -hmm. but the love story part felt totally correct and I wonder if I picked up the other cover if I would have been like oh this is also kind of a love story in the middle of this thriller yeah which I guess I don't want to be surprised by a love story if I'm trying to read a thriller I'd rather be surprised that it's a thriller yeah yeah I agree with that um and I also loved that this book was just like had a lot of plot because I love plot and I don't mm-hmm. love character so much. Oh, interesting. Like I like if a book is just like about people like mm-hmm. being, I don't like Ennui. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I much prefer plot. So I like that this book had good characters, but they were like driving towards something. Yeah, which I think we could probably also thank Sophocles for some of that because thank you, Sophocles. <laughs> even though that play doesn't really do a lot. What did you think of the title? Um, I hadn't given it much thought, and then it didn't really resonate with me. It didn't resonate much with me, but it kind of let, I guess I sort of like titles that don't lay too much on the mm-hmm. the plot. So I remember reading it and thinking like, why is it called this? And then I had some opinions, but it didn't really matter in the end. Yeah. I don't, the title to me does not feel connected to the story. It to feels kind of inconsequential, which yeah. I'm kind of okay with. Because if it had been called like something really on the nose, I think I'd be annoyed. Like, Family of terrorists, or yeah, or like terror in London, <laughs> or like uh, a, a brother, brother, siblings divided. Right. I mean, it could have been called Anika, but that would have been like too. I might not have been as excited to read it. That's true. Because I think I would have thought with this cover and with like a woman's name on it, I would have been like, oh boy. Yeah, this that's is some true. soft shit. You know, that's true. Um, the publisher who does this, Riverhead, they have the most beautiful covers. Really? Their books are always so beautiful. There, there's the woman who's in charge of like their art department. Her name's Helen something. I wish I could remember. Um, and she's got fantastic taste and the books are just always so beautiful the cover art is by ben denzer thank you ben for your service we like it job um so the last thing is we always talk about if you would cast the movie yes who do you have well first of all movie or tv show um okay so i think one of my favorite uh shows in recent years has been homeland Mm. and so i was kind of like oh my gosh to have like something set in a similar world to homeland not Mm -hmm. this would be very different but to have like brown female protagonists Mm -hmm. would be like my dream 
that said, you get to like the fifth and sixth season of something like this, it's going to be a mess. No, I think this is a movie for sure. A for movie me. would be very succinct and like plot driving, but then also we don't get, you, you know, could we're going like to lose so much of this. You could do like a mini series, like a five part. I would accept a mini series. I, I would, would also accept two amazing seasons on HBO. Like just two seasons, eight episodes each. Okay. You don't get to wander around, but you get enough character development. Because I find nowadays when I watch movies, I'm really annoyed. I'm like, I didn't get to know these people well enough. Right. They're like too short now. Yeah. Because we're we've used turned to into like, like 22 binging. episodes yep. binging Orange is the New Black or something. Yep. But it can't want, but even that, like Orange wandered. And I yeah. went like, oh, I don't want this anymore. Yeah. But like the leftovers, man, that thing stayed true. I, I don't loved know it. that one. Oh my God. It's on HBO. It's weird. Is it I scary? Love it. No, it's more like spooky, like what's happened to this town and world. Nothing's like jump out and scary, though. Okay. And nothing's gross. Okay, good. It's more like mind psychological mm -hmm. stuff. There's a lot of character, though, so you might not love it. I like a character. I like acting. I don't like to, I don't know. Ugh, so complicated. I have so many problems with everything. <laughs> the Leftovers is a good one. If you watch the pilot, you'll know if you'll like it or okay, not. Okay, good to know. Um, Who would you cast in your eight, eight, 16 episode two-parters? Okay, so most of the Pakistani actors i know have like a comedy okay. lens to them so and no one is quite young enough but right that's just because i'm older no one's ever young enough though i don't think i think people always play yeah so they've just got to look like okay so um there's a girl i know named Malza makar she is from chicago but i know her she's great she's funny i forget what she was on i just know her as like an actress around mm -hmm. town um, I think she'd make an amazing Anika because she's like so sharp and like I know her and she scares me sometimes because <laughs> she's just like a tough, a tough lady. Um, and I think she's naturally very funny even though, oh, she was on that show Champions. That's mm. something that people might have seen. Mm. I never know what people watch. I'm always like referencing shows and everyone's like, what's never that? Never heard of it. Yeah. It's on NBC. Go look it up. It was cute. It got canceled. It'll be in the show notes. Don't worry. Um, Malzum would be a great Anika. Um, I think our uh, Karamat loan. I'm going to go ahead and put in everyone's beloved Kumail Nanjiani. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I think giving him a role like this where he gets to be like, I mean, kind of despicable. Right. Like, but he also is kind of funny. Remember, he puts the fish in the bed and stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Like he does ha seem to be kind of like a charming, lovely dude, except for that he's a piece of shit politician. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. He's like, a, and even that fish in the bed thing was like very sexist. Like yeah. he's calling his ex-girlfriend a dead fish. Right. Like I'd love to see, because Kumail's so lovely and woke and sweet and always on the right side of shit. I'd love to see him play a role where he's just on the, the bad wrong. Guy. Yeah, just the bad guy. Uh, from the show A Series of Unfortunate Events, which is on Netflix, and from uh, a show I did with him called Nobody's, my friend Usman Ali would mm. be a great Parvez. He's too old, but whatever. We'll just up the ages of everybody. It's a good makeup, people. Yeah. You see what they do on uh, This Is Us. You're right. They look like 17 sometimes. They do all kinds of stuff. So this, okay, so this has to have enough budget behind it, which is, again, why we're pitching it to HBO. Perfect. Hello, HBO executives. Yes. Please buy this. Um, yeah, so I think Usman would be great for that role, although he has said that he's turning down terrorist roles. Got it. Which I'm like, fair, 100% fair. fair. But maybe he would consider this because I'm clearly show running this, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm show running it, and then I'm writing a role in for myself, which is yes. like, their black like um friend who, who lives like, down the street yes. who's always like girl they went by your house again <laughs> you gotta talk to them um i, I don't that. have an isma do you have an isma no well i had a harder time because i didn't couldn't come up with really any pakistani people so then i did like generally mid middle eastern because i feel like that's sure. kind of how it works when you're of color but then when i started looking up middle eastern actresses i kept finding lists of like 20 hottest middle and i was like fuck uh, this so yeah, then i stopped looking rough. i was like this is fucking garbage like 
what about normal looking Middle Eastern women? What about just like good Middle Eastern actresses? Yeah. And like, this is my own thing. I don't watch a ton of stuff. So I often like don't know people, but like, sure, girl, I'm literally naming my friends. I'm like, (laughs) I mean, like, I think that like the obvious like Hollywood person would be like having like Priyanka Chopra play Anika. Like it's like Quantico. But I like Riz Ahmed could be Parvez. Oh, yeah. Well, also, so we had, um, Bezad Dabu on the show. I know, you know Bezad. Bezad. He's mm-hmm. Chicago. He could have. He could be an interesting Parvez because he kind of has like that naivete yeah. about him. But I also thought if I wanted to have like the big Hollywood, like fucking insanely amazing actor, I would consider not maybe not exactly the right coloring. Who knows? But Rami Malek. Oh sure, sure, sure. He's Egyptian. Yeah, I think people would take issue, but it's also. I like- mean, sure, but like you guys let Scarlett Johansson play Asian, so like, uh-huh. what are we talking uh-huh. about? Like, uh-huh. we're doing our best. We're doing our best. We're yeah. just trying to get brown people some work. We're just trying to get some work. But I, I think like as far as acting goes, I would love to see him. It would be interesting for me to see Rami Malek in the Amon role. Sure, that because- too. Because or Riz Ahmed in the Amon role. Yeah, because he's got those big brown eyes. It's just so sweet. See, now we're just like, who is beautiful? That's right. This well, is a podcast called Who Is Beautiful. <laughs> this is also what the movie TV section turns into. Is like, what are the most because. The truth about me is that I actually only like to watch things with beautiful people, which I know is not mm, right. But mm. like, I love Grey's Anatomy because they're lovely to look at and they're so diverse. You are so funny. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of Grey's Anatomy. Isn't that wild? I don't think I've ever not seen every episode of Grey's Anatomy. Well, we're perfect. Well, I'll, <laughs> I t- I'll bring you, you to it. parties and you can talk about it. Okay, so for Isma, this was difficult, but I think Sunita Mani, she's on Glow. She's also in Mr. Robot. Okay. I don't know if she's Pakistani. So maybe I'm wrong, but okay. she she's great. She's like I I loved seeing her in Mr. Robot because I was like, oh, this is like a very serious like great actress. And then watching her on Glow, I was like, oh, she's funny as shit. So mm. I think it's important to me that all these people also be able to be funny. Yeah, just because all of the characters are in their own way and it's very yeah. subtle. I mean, Parvez is a little humorless, but yeah. I mean, he's... But in a show, you could add some fun. Yeah. Put him around in Nika. Let us see them interact a little bit. You yeah. got some charm going because his section was the smallest. Yeah. I feel like if we had more, we'd see more of his personality and less of his just like militant, you know. The radicalizing of Parvez. Yeah, we needed more of that because we didn't, I didn't really see how he suddenly became this like. Right. You know. Just Farouk was like, your dad, like Google it. Ooh, Farouk. That was rough. Yeah, that was I didn't tough. like that. It just is hard because it's like there are genuinely bad people of all shapes sizes colors and whatever and i don't like to see that mm-hmm. i don't like to see the radicalizing of anybody like it makes me uncomfortable and sad knowing that like people are manipulated and then do bad things or people genuinely believe terrible things and aren't manipulated and yeah. like you're not radicalized you just believe crazy shit and that's tough too there's some really scary stuff about how the radicalization of like white supremacists happens mm-hmm. on youtube Ooh, I it's a topic for another podcast, but really looking into because part of my naivete is like, oh, well, as thinking, smart, intelligent people who aren't born racist, it should be easy for people to see how these uh, claims and these, you know, mm-hmm. philosophies are easily proved false. But the way that the information is so insidious and the way that it grows and swells and the way that you are looking at, you know, one person's account who's just talking about like atheism or maybe mm-hmm. just something that seems like kind of innocuous. And then one person says something that's really a little bit more anti-Semitic than anything else. 
But he also said some funnier things or some interesting things. So you go to his channel. And as you're watching his channel, someone on his channel says something that's like kind of fucked up about Muslims. So then you like go to his channel. And so you just get further down this literal rabbit hole. The same way right. that we do with like the way that I do with like JLo music videos. Sure. <laughs> and I'll just be like, oh, who directed that one? Let me see more stuff he did. My and drug it's, is Janet Jackson music videos. Oh my God. Yes. Easily. Choreography. Yeah. Three o'clock in the morning. I'm just like, was the Velvet Rope the first album where she had that, you know? <laughs> But imagine you're doing that, but for literally for hate groups and you don't right. even fully realizing it. You're thinking you're just like getting outside the box, man. Right. And they talk about how, especially with young people, it's so it's so insidious and so dangerous. Yeah. Anyway. Well, on that positive note. No. <laughs> say something fun. Yay, Janet Jackson. <laughs> the always if music video. Always, every day. If you always. come to my flywheel class, Tani knows. It's Ugh. always Janet Jackson. When are you Beyonce. doing another all Janet class? I'm doing a lemonade <gasps> versus Rhythm Nation ride. Yes, I'll be there. I'll let you know when I haven't decided a date. Okay. All of you people, please travel to LA. Come to my <laughs> lunch. Um, well, Tani, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. I'm so happy. Everyone, check out Tani's podcast, Yo, Is This Racist? Um, all her stuff is in the show notes. And that's all. Thank you so much, Tani. Thank you. Yay. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And thank you to Tani Newsom for being our guest. For more on The Stacks, follow us on social media using the links in the show notes and see our articles and reviews on the website at thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and to get insider access to this show, like perks and our virtual book club, go to patreon.com slash thestacks and join the fun. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagiriches. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas, and I'll see you in the stacks.